there. Hello there, and welcome to the SysTaker Snapshots podcast. I'm your host today, Colin Brown, and I'm joined by Sean Milligan. Hello. And Richard Polly. Hello. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about how we feel we got better at X-Wing over the past few years, but we've got a couple of announcements first. Uh, the first of which is through December, we're only going to do two episodes a week rather than three, just because it's such a busy time of year. It's really hard to get the scheduling right to do three a week. Plus, you know, there's not that much going on. Um, so we're just going to cut it down. And then the week of Christmas and New Year's probably won't do any episodes at all, just because we're all going to be too busy spending time with our families. So, yeah. And then we'll come back with a vengeance for January in the run-up to the Sistaker Open and the system opens that should start appearing about then and the points change. So lots to look forward to but we'll just tone it down a little for the moment. Uh, and the second thing is uh, is Richard Polly is going to be contrite. Aren't you, Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So episode before last, when I came back from Bristol, um, I went, uh, I was a bit tired, like very tired, um, and we recorded quite late. And I went through and I followed all of my notes and I missed out the one line where I'd had written in my notes, don't forget to say thanks to the Vagabond Squadron. Um, so I completely forgot to say thanks to the Vagabond Squadron, who are the ginormous squadron who are based in Bristol, who play out of Excelsior that, that ran the hyperspace trial, who made, I think, all of the top four and most of the top eight in cut. Um, so, you know, they, they kept their trophy local. The winner was Vagabond Squadron. Steve Bolton and a bunch of the other guys were regularly really friendly and happy and smiley and cheerful and chatty to me the entire way through the day. And I felt like an enormous prick when I realized that I hadn't name-checked them. So this is me saying it wasn't a technical difficulty. We didn't edit it out. It wasn't anything like that. It was just me being incredibly forgetful, and I'm sorry. Uh, and so I'm going to use the word vagabond as many times in as many different contexts as I can today. Um, so I apologize in advance if it gets a bit tenuous sometimes with my analogies, because uh, I will be reaching for, for that word as often as possible. Um, so I'm going to see if I can count how many times I get to say Vagabond, and I think I'm currently up to six. Cool. I'd like to reach out for a special thanks for Vagabond Squadron. You've finally gotten Rich to admit he's a prick. We've been trying to get him to admit that for ages. <laughs> We've called him one quite a lot, and we call him yeah. one quite frequently. But the fact that but it's good used, at sinking in, yeah. Yeah, it's good that he's used the word himself on himself. It feels like a very proud moment. You know, you, if, if you are it, you've got to own it. So, you know. Oh. No, yeah, you definitely are a prick. So, right, okay. <laughs> so, right. yeah, so what? Oh, go on, go on, you. Okay, well, I was going to say, go on, you. Uh, getting better at X Wing, Rich. What would be the first thing you would say about how you got better at X Wing? Um, I think it's like because we all started, or certainly I started, when one or two of my mates said, "We play X Wing. Do you want to come and have a try?" Um, Sean and I started. At the same time, we both got introduced to the game by the same people at the same Lads Weekend away, where they all just brought all their X-Wing stuff. And we were like, oh, this looks cool. Had a game of it. Um, I think the thing from there that kicked me on to becoming better was that um, rather than playing the odd casual game of X-Wing and being something of a lone wolf or or somebody wandering around from tournament to tournament by themselves like some sort of vagabond, um, I went and found a squadron uh, being the Sith Takers, so that I was regularly able to get games on a weeknight. So we play every Tuesday. Um, I get two or three games in um, with as many different people as possible. 
Um, and being in a squadron that's full of really, you know, some really, really good players, we've regularly got new players turning up, um, means that you get to practice all sorts of lists against all sorts of different um, kind of skill levels, um, abilities, list types, player types. Um, and for me, that was probably the main thing that helped me start getting better. Um, so, yeah, that one. And that's another name check for the Vagabonds. And another one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I agree with that completely. I think a lot of practice and getting better, it comes back to reps. The more reps you can get and the more you play, the better you will get. It's just the same as anything. You know, stuff starts that when you first start, you really, really have to think about kind of becomes a bit second nature and a bunch of other things like that that just repetition kind of drives into you. Yeah, I think I think the big thing with that is like rocks. So like when you're playing a casual game against somebody and it's just, you know, in somebody's living room or whatever, and you suddenly find yourself just landing, you know, a one bank on a rock or whatever. And uh, I've been playing against Sean a couple of times and he's just said to me, you just don't want to play this at the minute, do you? And I'm like, I want to play. And he's like, but you keep one bank in your ships onto rocks. You shouldn't be one banking your ships onto rocks. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but I want to play, but I'm not really focusing, if that makes sense. Um, but getting those reps in means that you don't drop one banks onto rocks, whatever ships you're using. You don't, you know, you know where templates are going to put your ships and where you're going to land. Um, and the better you get and the more you play, the more likely you are not to make those errors that fundamentally in a in a proper game or in a tournament are going to lose you a ship or half a ship um, because you're sitting on a rock in front of, you know, three shots and you've got no tokens and you just die. So I'm going to kind of counter that very slightly in the sense of while I absolutely agree getting reps in is really, really good, but it's making sure you want to get the reps in and that obviously kind of burnout is, how do I know how to word this? So, so, so burnout does happen and if you're forcing yourself to get reps in, so you've not, so I know Rich, you're really bad that if you don't get your Tuesday games in, you start getting with, you start getting withdrawal, and then at the weekend you're messaging everybody in the world saying who's available for a game. I'm desperate for a game, but there's a times when you can be say, oh, I've not had any reps in. I need to go and get the reps in, and you get to the game and you and your heart's not there. And it's like it's it's almost counterproductive because you do start making mistakes because you're not focusing, and it's important to identify that maybe you need a break. I think, Colm, you've experienced um, this year. Um, you've mentioned to me that you know you're falling out of love with the game a bit. You you've went off and played Lord of the Rings, given yourself that break, and it's reignited your love for X-wing, and you've came back with a bit of a drive as it were i've been outed as an even bigger nerd than everyone already thought i was playing lord of the rings um pretty much i mean i would say falling out of love with the game is like maybe not the correct way to put it like i still like i thought the game is as good as it ever was um it's just i was i don't know yeah i was just burnt out i was just a bit sick of playing it so i just took a few took I don't know, a couple of months where I didn't play it that much and then came back and was like, oh yeah, this is good. I, I think the phrase you used when, when you spoke to me about it, Colin, which you just said, I just couldn't be arsed with X-Wing. <laughs> um, so instead you went off to play a game against uh, about four 
uh, vagabond hobbits who um, go and try and drop a, a big golden ring into a big fiery volcano. So yeah. So what? I, that I, was that was that tape too tenuous. That one. Uh, nah, it was fine. Okay. It was fine. It's no worse than any of the other ones. <laughs> yeah, it's probably going to be no worse than any of the other ones to come. You're going to start skizzing it, right? So, uh, my tip, I think something that's really helped me get better is identifying that I'm not amazing at X-Wing. I'm not, it's not a game I've picked up and I've been fantastic at. It's not a game where I've understood every aspect of it and I've been great at. I've kind of identified what bit I am good at and identified what di- what bit I'm bad at. And tried to compensate for the bad bits. So in my specific egg, egg sample is I'm really bad at writing lists. I'm struggling to see combos. I don't know all of the I don't have the time to learn all of the cards, to learn all of the actual rules. So I can I quite happily netlist. Uh I look at what everyone else is playing, I scroll through List Fortress when there's tournaments of kind of like the top 16 top 32 and have a look at lists that look interesting and suit my play style it's, it's really easy i find to look at a list it's won a major tournament you pick it up but it doesn't quite work and sometimes it, it just didn't suit my play style so i think it's important when you're looking at yourself you work out what type of player you actually are do you have the patience to play aces? Do you just like jousting stuff? Do you just like t- having hordes of ships and removing two every turn? Do you like alpha striking things? And just working out what you kind of like and then finding a list to suit you and then just start t- to learn it. And I think, I mean, I I picked up Rebel Beef quite early on because I'm a very slow, methodical player. I don't like aces because I just don't have the patience and I don't have the foresight. So having the ability to go, you know, to to rely on the heavy um, joust um, suited me quite well. And I enjoy the actual game with it. Other people might think it's a boring list, but I had a lot of uh, fun with that. So I, f- I found that really helped us. I think just coming back to the top level point is about identifying the thing that you are or you aren't good at um, in the game. And being self-reflective is difficult. So, like, it's the easiest thing in the world to blame variance or, yeah. you know, oh, if, if if this hadn't happened that way or if, if you hadn't done that two-bank manoeuvre that's put you in, in the spot to just kill box one of my ships and, you know, you should have done something different and you've done that just by chance and you know, it's easy to try and push luck or bad fortune um, out as the reason for why you lost a game. But being able to actually look at a game, and it can often be like the next day, like not immediately in, in the aftermath of a match, but actually be able to look at a game and say, do you know what? I think I lost that game because I put my ship there two turns earlier. Or, um, you know, maybe I lost that game on turn zero because... I gave him a really open asteroid field when actually what I should have done was put them really dense, densely clustered together or whatever. Um, I'm actually being able to acknowledge that, you know, you lose a game because of a mistake that you make. Like, you know, you can lose a game in the list building stage. I don't think it's as common now as it used to be. 
Um, but you know, you can plunk your list down, look at look across the table, and say, "Well, I, I have no chance against this list." Um, but you know, to take that to its extreme edge, a lot of people prior to Worlds were saying, "Well, you know, the Nantexes are going to just chase aces out of the meta, so everybody's going to bring gas clouds, for example." Um, but then, when you listen to the the different interviews that Ollie Pocknell's done. Um, he deliberately chose the three biggest rocks because he realised that even though he was flying aces, he could leverage those rocks um, to minimise the impact that the Nantex could have on him. And then he played game after game after game, practising how to beat the Nantex with those rock layouts. Um, so, you know, it's it's not just about thinking, oh, I can't possibly beat this list and I'm just going to match up dodge, which is a strategy. Um but it's also about figuring out if I do come up against these bad matchups, what do I need to do in order to win that game? What's the strategy that I need to execute? And, you know, how many mistakes can I make? So, like, if you need to execute a perfect game, like um, some of the strategies for beating Ghost Fen at the tail end of version one, um, where basically if, if you execute a perfect game and everything goes your way, then you'll win. Otherwise, you'll lose. Um, and I think if you can figure out a strategy that you can execute, then, and again, be self-reflective about why you're losing when you do lose. Um, then you, you will get better as a player. Yeah, I was say, I can't, but I agree with that. So, Colm, have you got a, a tip? I'm racking my brains because you two have basically just covered what I was thinking. <laughs> I was going to say. Um, I think you've been playing X-wing for the longest out of us haven't you because you were were you early days version one no i was towards the end like wave eight. Oh, really not like that far to the end but yeah no yeah no i've not been playing since the early days yeah, i never uh, knew that because we came in rain rich came in what um just before harpoon wave 10 11 yeah just before yeah harpoon. it was wave 10 11 it was around um resistance so it was when um, the the Heroes of the Resistance pack was yeah. just launched in the shops. Was when we started playing. So you were just yeah. before that. Yeah, I suppose Same. maybe I don't know. Yeah, almost a year before that, or something like that. Can't yeah. quite remember. But I mean, the thing that really speaks to me, I think, is the most is definitely about learning what type of player you are, like. And kind of how that relates maybe a bit to burnout, I suppose, going back even further. When so in first edition, I think is this were you around for Paratani? I can't remember where that fits into no. the picture. No. no. Yeah, so Paratani just, just the tail end of it, yeah. Yeah, so that was it was basically the best list in the game by by a country mile. And I had this you know, I was just resolved to play an off-meta list, so I was going with this like weird Carnor Jacks and some other crap thing, just to try and be like different. And I was having a miserable time because I just didn't have the patience for for aces, so I just didn't enjoy playing them. And then around that time, I flew five Snapcrack A wings. Um, which is my favorite list of all time. And it was like a switch went off on my head. It was like, oh, this makes sense. Like when I put aces down, all it does is make me feel sad and I kind of have to play in a way I don't want to play in a way that doesn't really make sense. But when I put those five airings down, like I saw what the plan was. You know, I could think ahead the turns and it all made sense. So 
just try different things, I suppose. See what you think suits. Yeah, and this it's just really like it's kind of echoing what Sean said. You know, he doesn't like aces, but that kind of rebel beefy thing suited him. Just try and find the list that suits. Don't like if you can't fly Ollie Pocknell's list that he won worlds with it and you can't win with it, does it mean that you're bad? It just means that you're bad with that list. Yeah. I think that's right. I I think yeah. So really I think the the overall theme from what I can tell is play often, just try stuff something will eventually click play that list t- to death if you want to if you want to then don't yeah i mean don't, don't yeah don't, don't play it if you suddenly stop enjoying it and keep going because you know you feel like it's the best list that you've got available to you or something like that but yeah i think um something else and and we're kind of touching on it when we're talking about list choices is that when you're flying the list you need to know um not only what it can do well, but what it can do badly. So that when you look at any other game, um, you think, what's my win condition? And I know a lot of people talk about win conditions and stuff and what they are. Um, but I think one of the things that I find really good um, for me at the the Bristol event um, run by the Vagabonds um, was because the list that I had had um, very clear points. So every ship was 50 points. Um, which meant that when I looked across the table or, or even halfway through a game or in the last round, I could look and think, okay, I need to get more than 25 points here in order to win this game. Um, what can I get 25 points out of um, or more? Um, and that enabled me to always have in mind my win condition. And I think that made it very easy, but actually being able to do that with any list, to know where the points are in your list and what you want to do to try and protect them, um, or to trade them up um, against another list or you know, what you're willing to lose in order to gain a good um, field position um, is really important. And I think it's actually a bit next level almost, and it's a level that I'm not quite at yet with most lists. Um, I was able to do it in Bristol because of the composition of my list. Um, but it's like once you're actually good at the game, of actually playing the game and you know, landing things, making correct choices as regards, you know, your odds of, you know, get pushing damage through and your odds of, you know, if I sit here, am I going to take anything? Is actually then figuring out before a game starts how to win the game. Um, so when you're looking at somebody's list, reading it and figuring out where the points are, what the dangers are, what the traps are, what their combos are that they're going to try and deploy on you in that kind of minute or two that you've got before, the you know, the game starts and actually gets called, um, it's it's contrary to my nature because I want to chat to people and get to know them across the table when I should be using that two minutes instead of you know finding out where they're from and how far they've travelled and all that nonsense which is what I usually do asking them about their list and trying to figure out what I need to do to beat it um, so yeah um, and I guess that's one of the things about getting reps in is that the more reps you get in the more lists you've played against the more you don't need to think about how to beat a list you know or you've got some idea about what you need to do so yeah, that was just the other one that was popping up in my head. I mean, I think majority of the advice we've actually kind of mentioned, I think you can apply that to majority of miniature game stroke wargaming. Now I think about it, because just thinking about, I've, I've heard very similar advice when I, I was looking at possibly doing kind of like 40k and getting into the, is it the ITC um format but then i realized I think so yeah but then i realized i don't have 90 hours spare a week to you know play play 40k but all very interesting 
Uh, I've got one other thing I was that you kind of sparked there a bit, Rich, and that is like how you practice. So this is something that I've not done myself very well and something I've only done a few times. Um, but it's always been very, very helpful when I have done it. And that is like when you're practicing a matchup, kind of pause throughout the game multiple times. So say, for example, you're Ali Pocknell and you're playing your triple aces against an Antex list. So what you should be doing really is like, so at the list building stage, you decide, right, do I have an advantage or do I have a disadvantage? You put down your rocks and then you think, right, do I have an advantage? Do I have a disadvantage? You deploy and then you think, right, who's winning at this point of the game? And just kind of thinking that, it really prompts you to think because it's very easy to just kind of, I find with X-Wing, to go into autopilot. You just kind of put your stuff down and then figure it out from there. Um, so just having that prompt to really think things through and just to be like, well, now it's just the rocks. What do these rocks really mean? Uh, for for my game plan and and how the game is going to go, is is very useful. So just having and having an experienced player there to do that with you is is very good as well, because they can point out things you're not seeing and just generally give you a kick up the arse to get your brain in gear. Yeah, I think what we did some of that, didn't we? When um, James was doing those videos, um, which are still on YouTube. Yeah. Um, where you can see, you know, where it took like six hours to film one the game of X Wing, because in between each turn. He was taking us out and saying, like, what did you think of that turn? What do you think of the next turn? Um, and that, I mean, I played one game in that format, and that was massively helpful to me. Um, not necessarily because of the list or what I was flying against or who was flying against, whatever. Just actively making me think about every step of the game, um, from yeah. you know dice mods through to what I was doing, how I was doing it, what my targeting priorities were, what my strategies were. Um, and yeah, I think that's a that's spot on column actually actively thinking about each each step of the game is, is really super useful um, um, and I recall I think I did it with um, Rev Matt Hill who's been on the on, on the pod a couple of times before um, just before our hyperspace in um, Element was he was trying to figure out how to beat the resistance bomber with a tie swarm um, and so we repped over about three or four games on the Tuesday before the hyperspace and then in the top eight of cut I met him in cut with my resistance bomber versus his tie swarm so it got a bit, it got a bit meta and a bit inception as we were thinking like the different strategies and tactics that we've done, and you know I was thinking, oh, he, he knows how to beat this now, so I need to now counter the thing he's going to do because he knows it will win it in it. Um, but I mean that that game in and of itself um, showed the value of it because he pushed that resistance bomber much much closer than it got pushed by a swarm for the rest of the entire day, just because he'd been able to actively think through the matchup. Um, so yeah. It's um, a spot on one that. Um, going back to James's videos, I, I really wish he kept all the the bits he edited out because I can. I mean, for the one that I did against Ben, the amount of times I talked about what I was going to do, then I went, I've totally changed my mind because I've had the thought process and I've went, actually no, I need to change all that round and I need to do X Y and I need to do other things. And you're absolutely right; it was just so helpful just to just to verbalize my thoughts and then i was just like actually no and just to turn it around was great and uh although yes it did take like a like a whole uh, afternoon i thoroughly enjoyed that experience yeah are you guys familiar with uh rubber duck debugging never heard of it before so no. this is so my wife works in kind of the tech 
area, digital realm, whatever you want to call it. Clearly, I don't know anything about it. But they, she taught me, or explained this trick to me that they do, is if you have a problem you can't solve, you sit down and you explain your problem to a rubber duck. And kind of doing that and saying it out loud makes you properly think about what you're saying. And a lot of the time, you'll figure out the solution to your problem as you go. Um, yeah. And that I can, that quite clearly relates to what you've just said, Sean. You know, as you explain your thought process, you kind of it like it makes your brain fire, and you make you think, "Oh, I asked you, that's not great. I should do this instead." You know. So now you've mentioned it, I can. So I do um, database coding, and there's a lot of times when I can't solve an issue, I literally phone up another developer and I talk through my problem. And mm. at the end of the conversation, I've solved my problem, and the person I've phoned has literally said, hello, are you all right? And <laughs> yeah. he's not said anything else. But we do it so often, because it's like, I've got this problem, blah, 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 that's the answer. And they just go, uh-huh, and it's done. So, yeah, I, 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 I can relate to that 100%. Yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's a common, it's a coaching technique. Um, is it, what, what do you think you should do? I've not heard the, the rubber duck analogy before. Maybe your wife's a bit mad. Um, and she just likes talking to inanimate objects or, or something, but um, well, yeah, it's right. a. It... <laughs> I was gonna say it must be like a home life. <laughs> oh dear! I don't, my wife does not listen to this podcast, but I will be playing her this bit, and then I'll be pointing Rich out in a crowd. He's the one. Um, cool, cool. Uh, chuckling. So yeah, no, it's a, it's it's a really good point though. Like you know, um, because I think listening to some other podcasts and what some other people have said is some of the best content that's out on the internet um, about this kind of thing is um, like I think James's uh, videos that he did with a bunch of the Sith takers. Um, Gold Squadron did something where they had left ear right ear with the two different players, yeah, um, talking about what they were thinking about and what they were going to do. Um, and then there was somebody else did something very similar. Um, I think the Carolina Crates or something did something where they went through a game and they had both players talking about what they were thinking. Um, but they like did it post, like after the game. They said, I'm not at this point. What were you thinking? Um, and that kind of stuff where you've got good players or, or reasonable players or even just average players just talking through the thought process. Being able to do that with a friend in your dining room or in the game club or whatever, and taking two hours over a game rather than an hour and a quarter, um, I think that adds a lot of value. I think Ollie's done that just himself, though, for all of his for his world's run, for because apparently yeah, se- seven of his fourteen games were streamed or something. Yeah, and I think yeah, I don't know if he's posted them all up on his YouTube, but I know that was his intent, and he was up yeah, there the last two. They're something. all up there now. They they are all up there now. Because so. I've been watching them. <laughs> cool. Uh, okay. So I hope that was useful for, pe- for people. Uh, but that's all we have time for today. So it is goodbye from Sean. Goodbye. Goodbye from Rich. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. Thanks for listening. Cheerio, vagabonds. Bye. Vagabonds. <laughs> Make it. Do it. Make sense. Faster, stronger, more than power, power, never, ever, after, work is over.